The Viewpoint with Songhesuma Bete on Mondays and Tuesdays, 8 till 10 p.m. And we are back and we are live and we move a conversation on now. So we're moving slightly away from the politics and engaging nonetheless and always a very serious matter. That is public health. So we are now squarely in the segment of Hashtag Health on Monday, specifically looking at the new guidelines for the government's response to tuberculosis. TB is not new. It's a killer, has been a killer. Forget the fact that all we've heard for the best part of three years is COVID-19. Now, during the pandemic, specifically in 2021, a survey into the prevalence of TB was conducted, the first of its kind in the country, and it also illustrated that thousands of ordinary citizens were not getting diagnosed for the disease at the patients presenting themselves at the clinic was not enough to reduce the transmission of the disease. Two years after that initial study, a new set of guidelines have since been implemented using the test and treat approach. This approach follows upscaled testing by looking at, among other things, multiple transmission points outside of the household and further provides expanded treatment therapy upon the outcomes of the results. Let's now engage Mr. Marcus Slow, editor of Spotlight NSP, to help us understand what this means, particularly for communities and households. Good evening, Marcus. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to SFM. We appreciate your time. Good evening. Thank you. Let's talk about TB generally before we get into the study. Give us what information we really should always be cognizant of and that TB remains one of the serious killers in this country long before COVID ever was anything, and it certainly is there now, for the most part now that COVID is not nearly talked about and hyped as it would have been when the study itself in 2021 was first engaged. Yeah, absolutely. And TB has been around in South Africa for forever. Um, currently around 50 to 6,000 people die every year of the disease, so it's you know, it claims a lot of lives. Around 300,000 people every year fall ill with a disease. So, you know, it's a lot of people getting sick and needing treatment. And uh, the tragedy is that, you know, TB can be cured. We have medicines that can cure TB. So it's not, you know, those 56,000 people really don't have to die. You can treat them. So in, in, in broad terms, that's where we are. I think the other thing just to mention is that it, you know, it's certainly some middle-class people get TB, some healthcare workers and doctors, but it's really mainly a disease impacting poor people. So you know, I liked your intro about saying you're turning away from politics, but I think there's a sense in which the disease that impacts mostly poor people is a political issue and... Um, it's kind of a pity that it hasn't gotten more political attention over the years. It certainly hasn't received the political attention, and I think this is what was mainly the critique of not so much COVID-19, but rather if we could as a nation and the global village really engage so much about what at the time was a nascent development in the public health threat conversation point of view that COVID-19 was, well and good. But surely something of this kind of response would have been required before COVID-19 of HIV and AIDS, of Ebola, certainly of tuberculosis, which even at the time of the height of COVID-19, it still paled in comparison to the damage that TB 
in public health was ravaging. So let's go now to the study. Talk to us about the study, what precipitated it, what it found specifically that was revealing, despite TB having been around for as long as it has, and how the study itself has now influenced the change in tech in public administration, public health administration, particularly on TB. Yeah, so this study was called the TB Prevalence Survey, the National TB Prevalence Survey. And it, it simply tried to understand in more detail how much TB is out there. Um, so one of, you know, that's a few very interesting findings, but it confirmed something we suspected for many years, and that is that there are many more people who get sick with TB than are actually diagnosed. So there are people who get sick and just never go to the clinic. And, you know, the tragedy is many of those people will end up dying at home. So that's that's the one shocking thing, that there, there are people who are just falling through the cracks. Um, and then kind of related to that is another very interesting finding that, you know, there's a lot of people who have kind of TB that's beginning to activate in their lungs, but they don't yet have symptoms. And those people can transmit TB. So what we learned from that is if we wait until people get sick and they come to the clinic and only then test them, then we're going to miss a lot of cases. And you know, by the time someone gets to the clinic, they may have transmitted TB to five or ten other people. So those were the kind of big picture findings there. And in response to that, government you know, changed some policies, started piloting some new things. And maybe the most important is that they've scaled up testing for TB. So it's becoming much easier to get a test for TB. So, you know, and then the earlier you test, the earlier you can get into treatment. And as soon as you're on treatment, you become non-infectious quite quickly. So, you know, that's kind of a win-win because it's good for your own health if you start treatment, but it also, you know, prevents further transmission. So, yeah, I mean, that was kind of the big turning point. There's a lot of undiagnosed TB out there, and in response to kind of a bunch of new ways that we're trying to find that TB. Particularly from a test and treat perspective and the protocols and, and, and the infrastructure that has to be deployed for that to be effective, how much did the study reflect on what was going on at the time of its collation? I mean especially during the height of COVID, we were now knowing the importance and the value of test, treat, track, and trace. So those quadruple of Ts, test, treat, track, and trace. How much from what we were seeing happen during the COVID times was in itself a revelation in terms of how to engage public health specifically to contain the spread of a virus, COVID in that instance, and how much of that has given us true IP for the purposes of TB? Yeah, so and the parallel is very interesting, actually. So COVID-19, with COVID, we, we saw some test and trace, as, you know, as everybody knows. But the difficulty with COVID is that it spreads very quickly, right? It's you know, you get infected and a few days later you are infectious and you can transmit it. And the timelines for TB are much longer. So you, you know, from the time you get TB in your lung, I mean, in the first place you may not ever get sick. So, 
you know, lots of people get in TB in their lungs and they don't get sick. Those who do get sick might only get, a, get sick months later and in some cases even a few years later. So all this kind of contact tracing stuff and so on should in theory be much easier because we have a lot more time. Um, so, you know, it, it's different but it's kind of similar dynamics in a way. And um, you mentioned the testing treat. I just want to zoom in on that because that's the yeah. one very interesting thing in these new guidelines. So the, what they suggest is that if someone's at risk of TB, we should just give them a test much more easily than we've done in the past. And obviously if someone tests positive, then we give them TB treatment. And if someone tests negative, but we think they're at high risk of TB, and this, this is the kind of the cool new thing that's happening, is that then we offer them preventive therapy. And that's treatment you take for, I mean, there are different regimens, but it's three months or so. And that prevents you from getting TB. Um, and that's very important, you know, if you're in a household with someone else with TB or someone in your work, workplace had TB, you know, then you can take this therapy to protect yourself. So, um, government seems very ambitious about rolling out more of this preventive, of making it easier for people to get this prevention therapy. You know, that can make a big difference. Have these guidelines become an instrument of the National Department of Health, or are they still in the promulgation phase? In other words, are they now set and are they now applicable, or is there still a step or two in the process of finalization? Yeah, so these are now the guidelines, but you know, bring us to another kind of perennial problem in healthcare. So we make very good guidelines in a number of areas, but actually getting those guidelines implemented across the country is often quite Or just hard. available. I'm on the National Department of Health's website now, and I can't find them. And unless my system doesn't allow me or I'm not quite as adept on the Internet as I probably should be for this purpose, but I'm struggling to locate this document. And, and, and perhaps that might also be a problem, just the information asymmetry between what should be happening not being accessible to those who are ultimately the agents or the implementers of, let's call it policy guidelines in this instance. And I, as somebody who's in a fortunate or responsible position, if you will, to now engage the advocacy part of this very much health protocol, is unable to give it respect the way that I otherwise am required to because I don't have access to this instrument. That must be one of the elements that ought to be looked at in the course of public administration, more broadly speaking, but certainly in this instance, yeah, is it not? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the, this is another kind of chronic problem in the in the health department and in the health system generally, that there's often a lack of coordination between what happens nationally and then, you know, some provinces and districts will play along very well and others just won't. So that's that's kind of a kind of a challenge we have all the time. The clinics and hospitals in our country are run by provinces, provincial health departments, and the national department only has so much power over them. So that's that's kind of a 
the problem with key states. And the other side of this is that, um, this is what I argue in the piece, is that, you know, for HIV, we had, you know, we saw presidents getting tested. It was big public campaigns. I mean, we haven't ever seen that for TB. Um, and I, you know, I think this is an opportunity with these new guidelines for, you know, hopefully to see leadership at the level of the, at least the Minister of Health or the President to you know, make this kind of a big public campaign and create the awareness that, you know, clearly isn't there yet. How do we do that? Or, that perhaps might be a political question, in fact, I, I, I withdraw altogether. Specifically now, let's engage the guidelines at a substantive level. What is it? Of course, we're talking about test and treat, but that can't surely be all it comes down to. Give us a sense as to what these guidelines are specifically targeting. Even if you have to quote this specifically, please do that for us. So that I at home, I here on the radio platform, am that much wiser. And, 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 and for those specifically who are sitting at care centers, at, at, at centers where they dispense public health care, clinics, hospitals, as the case may be, at least they are that much wiser and they would know where to look for the guidelines. They know specifically the protocols that are now certainly for them new or a part of this guideline which is now nationally rolled out so that we can improve outcomes. I mean, I think it's one thing to have instruments available and say, there we go, now go and implement. Quite another for them to actually be implemented against which then those outcomes are measured in terms of the aspirations of the policy, which hopefully then will inform the next set of guidelines, which will be new and improved and even make better inroads in public health care. Marcus? I think we've lost Marcus. I pity that. It's 21.34. We were really getting into the meat of it. And I really do want him to come back, please, if we can, because I really want us to, to engage the substantive elements of these guidelines. What do they say? What specifically are they addressing? What in the previous set of guidelines is being jettisoned with or improved even better? And, and, and what is it just as a South African who's interested in one's health, who's interested in public health, or just wants to edify one's knowledge in matters that are of moment in public health care, certainly when one can fall victim and prey to TB, given the fact that it spreads so quickly, is so commonplace, has been for a while, and doesn't seem to suggest that it's going away in any time soon. Marcus, you there? Yes, sorry, I lost, lost you for a moment. No worries, I think you got the gist of what I said. Do you want to carry on? Yeah, I, I mean, I, my my final point was just that um, you know, that, I don't know if you got this, but the, for HIV, we've seen big public campaigns, right? Led. Yeah, no, no, we did get print. that. We did get that. I yeah. moved on in asking if you can engage us substantively. What are some of the main issues that the guidelines now require of healthcare dispensers for the benefit of healthcare consumers? So. I mean, one of, one of the things is that they make it, actually make it quite a lot simpler. So a lot more people are eligible for TB tests in the first place. So if you're at all um, at risk of TB, if you're living with HIV, if you have a household member with TB, if um, you've had TB in the last two years, then you should be able to get it. TB test much more easily than in the past, even if you don't have symptoms. So, you know, that's kind of a right people have these days that you didn't have before. Um, 
in addition to that, the like I mentioned earlier, the eligibility for preventive treatment, so all to take to stop you from getting TB, that is much broader now. And that's, I think, probably the most important thing I think, to filter through is so that healthcare workers get used to basically just giving these, these pills to people who need it or offering it. Obviously, it's up to you if you want to take it or not. But it, it should be you know, really as easy as possible for people to get these pills. And I think we should even be thinking of ways of providing it outside of the clinic system because you know, that's one of the problems we have in TV is that there are some people who just don't come to the clinics. Um, and, you know, we know that there are good reasons why some people decide not to do that. So, um, yeah, if we can find other ways to get to people, that, that would also help. In relation to accessing the help, what could remain a stumbling block from the public to inquire after their status in relation to TB? I mean, I don't imagine it would be for one to wait until they exhibit symptoms that are beyond the ordinary treatment of how typically TB might present. Some might think it's a flu. Are there proactive measures that individuals or even groups of individuals and I'm minded to think here, schools, I mean, schools are always an easy target of mass participation in anything, not least in public health care. Do you want to spread some goodwill in relation to that? Yeah, I mean, an important thing is just for people to know the symptoms. Um, so, you know, it's pretty simple. It's things like night sweats, chronic cough, fever. Um, you know, those things, if you have them for a week or more, you know you have a problem. So, um, certainly awareness is the first part. But, you know, I think there's a broader issue in our healthcare system that um, in, in, in some parts of the country, at least, you know, clinics are such um, are so understaffed. The queues are so long that many people just don't want to go there. So that is kind of a fundamental problem that we haven't really found a way around. Um, so maybe there are roles pharmacies can play. Um, you know, in some districts, there are very innovative projects where healthcare workers go out to communities, um, which is especially in rural areas, um, makes a massive difference. It was just a study in KwaZulu-Natal where um, the uptake of this TB preventive therapy was much higher. If you know, they took a van and went into the community and offered it kind of a van with nurses and so on. Um, the uptake was much higher through a system like that compared to just waiting for people to come to the clinic. So, I mean, these are things we are, we've learned, we know they work, um, but yeah, the question is always that last mile, getting getting government to implement or, you know, at a very basic level, just to make it easier for people. Um, you know, and that we haven't quite solved yet. Okay, well, not everything will be solved in a day. It's just like Rome was not built in a day. But for now, let's thank you for your time, Mr. Marcus Lowe, editor of Spotlight NSP, talking to us about the new guidelines for the government's response to tuberculosis. And this certainly is a clarion call. If anybody is sufficiently close to the National Department of Health for the purposes of educating the public in this regard, it is very important, just as much as we know of the state's capability 
in ensuring that information redounds to where it is most needed and is important for effective clinical and related public health care outcomes. Let's get information out and readily available. Let that one simple thing that has otherwise consequential consequences not be the basis or the reason why certain targets in relation to our governments are not met only because something so simple yet effective is overlooked. Just as we know the state's capability in relation to public knowledge and education and distribution of whatever is necessary for that, let us do it for all things for all times, not least because TB is bigger than what COVID is, has been, and promises to be. 2141, the conversation continues after the break. One more story.